It'll be okay. Are you sure you don't want a glass of wine? No. All I have is gross Chardonnay anyway. Yeah, no thanks. I need to put that in my body. <laughs> I'm a purist now that I don't eat buns anymore. I'm sh- <laughs> just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Hello, and welcome to Freudian Sips, the podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. And it's lovely to have you back with us again. It's a lovely day. It's a lovely day for recording. So it lovely. is, actually. We should be outside recording. That would be horrible. We should not do that. <laughs> it would be a terrible idea. You'd hear all the children in the neighborhood screaming. <laughs> They're fine. They're probably fine. They're fine. They're fine. They're fine. Go on about your business. There's nothing to see here. <laughs> Can we process our traumatic lunch that we just had? I think we should. Anna is still bleeding from I'm lunch. Still, my mouth is bleeding. My mouth's was- bleeding, Bert. My mouth's bleeding. <laughs> It really is, but at least you know you're alive. (laughs) I'm back from the alternate timeline, and my mouth is bleeding. The alternate timeline where I wasn't born. Yeah, we had lunch at a place that usually we really like. Yeah, we've been there several times before. But the first thing was, it seemed as though no one could see us. We were like (laughs) invisible people. We were standing there waiting to be seated, and I guess we were doing the wrong thing, because even though we've done We've done it before that way. Yeah. So we went in, we got seated. That's all fine. It took a while, though. It did take a while. Mom orders a burger with with just plain, just plain burger. She even said, like, the woman was trying to, like, sell her on, like, some fancy stuff on the yeah. burger. And Mom's like, nope, I just want a burger on a bun. Uh-huh. And the woman's like, okay. And they left, and they came back with a burger patty <laughs> on some lettuce. <laughs> Where's my freaking mom? <laughs> mom, the, the waitress walked away and mom gave me such a sad look. A sad, disappointed look. We foodies. We, <laughs> we get, foodies. We get very yeah, upset. Yeah, we're foodies. I, I'm talking for myself. I'm not talking about you. You can choose if you want to identify what, as a foodie. Define what you think a foodie means. <laughs> a foodie is a person who, like, food is very central to our existence. Oh, okay. I'll, okay, like, I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. I thoroughly enjoy food. I look forward to food. And so when, when you're in a restaurant, but especially when you pick up food and take it home, because then you can't sit, do anything about it, But and it's not the way you wanted it, and your mouth was really ready for a specific thing and then you're like oh oh i'm so sad i felt a little of that today that's what happened on my birthday we we all yeah. went out to dinner for my birthday last week and we got like nachos like chicken nachos but they came out with steak, steak. on them instead and i almost started crying i thought you were gonna cry and mom, mom was like because it's been such a long day i had been working for like 11 hours straight and i just wanted some freaking chicken nachos <laughs> And mom's like, should we take him back? I'm like, no, it's fine. I'll just have these, <laughs> these nachos that aren't chicken. It was it was bad. I'm so sorry. It's all right. Not your fault. 
But with hindsight, should we have sent them back? Would you have been happy if we would send them? We waited a long time for them. We did them. wait, and, and they were fine. I, I like those version, that version of those nachos, too. Well, that that's like today. I guess I probably should have said to her, could I please have a bun? Yeah, she didn't but, like walk away. Right, She kind of went to a table that was near us, so it would have been easy for you to be like, could you bring me a bun? Yeah, but my I'm terrible about... I don't like to send things back in restaurants or like complain. Bonnie don't want none unless I get <laughs> buns, hon. <laughs> Where did that come from? So what else traumatic happened oh. at lunch, Anna? So sure, let's talk about my bleeding mouth. So as I'm eating my sandwich, which was like fine. She had bread. <laughs> I had bread, but I probably shouldn't have. It was dangerous have. bread. Danger bread is what I had. It was like... The crust was very sharp or something. Mm-hmm. So I'm eating and I'm like wiping my mouth and there's red on the napkin. And I'm thinking, what's weird? I don't think there's anything red on my sandwich. <laughs> there's like red on the sandwich. There's red on the napkin. And I'm like, that's so weird. And I'm like eating. Rum, 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 rum. About the fifth time I wipe my mouth and there's red, I realize it's blood. <laughs> and I'm like, mom, am I bleeding? <laughs> She's like, no, you're fine. And then I kind of wiped my mouth a few more times and, and looked at my plate confused. And she's like, oh, yeah, you are. Oh, yeah. Now it's gushing out of you. It's not. Call 911. It's gushing out of me. I do have a napkin that's filled with blood, though. Still trying to mop up. <laughs> I think I got cut by the bread. I don't know. Though. It was danger bread. Danger bread. Instead of wonder bread, it was danger bread. <laughs> the distant, cooler cousin. <laughs> black leather jacket wrapping smoking outside the restaurant i'm fine are you okay we're all fine if you start to get a little if i start to get woozy because you've lost so much lip blood lip blood (laughs) lip blood bloods bloods bleeds more profusely than many other kinds of bloods lip bloods and nose bloods no i don't think that's what it's called Head head wounds are there's a lot of capillaries, a lot, of, a lot of blood gushing around up there. Apparently. Yeah, that's the scientific way to say it. <laughs> this podcast can be very scientific. Speaking gonna... of scientific, yes, we uh, we're doing something a little different today. I myself am feeling a little bit of anxiety about this because even in our last episode, the mailbag episode, we didn't do much research, but I still did some research. I don't even have notes today. <gasps> This is just, I'm going to be like... She's bleeding. She has no notes. I have no notes. This is... Welcome to my life for the past couple weeks. I am interviewing mom, who is our knowledgeable guest today, basically. Oh, that's so not true. But yeah, (laughs) that's cool. You'll be an interviewer like I used to do back in my radio day. Yeah, there you go. I'll practice my interviewing skills. Okay. So mom, what are we talking about and why are we talking about it today? Well, we are going to talk about EMDR today. Just Actually, we're talking about a lot of stuff that has to do with that. So it's not like we're going to go into real, real deep about it, but a lot of stuff around it. Because I'm fresh out of a conference, workshop, whatever you want to call it, training mm-hmm. to do EMDR. Um, I went to St. Louis area and did a training in it because I... I have a couple of clients. I'm sure you do too, Anna. Well, let's very briefly talk about what EMDR is. We'll get more into the nitty gritty of it. Well, EMDR stands for... I... I'm going to make you say it. Eye Movement Desensitization 
and reprocessing. Clap, 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 clap. You did it right. I struggle with the word desensitization. <laughs> she was staring at me angrily because I was making her say <laughs> that word. She, sometimes the mother-daughter role kind of switches <laughs> with us. We kind of change places sometimes. She started that when she was three, by the yeah. way. <laughs> that was not a new thing. Yeah. Uh-uh. When she was a toddler, I would sometimes say to her, who is the mommy? Who is the mommy? Remind me. She still does that. So. I'd say, yeah. Yeah. So EMDR is a, a therapy. I hate to call it just a therapy because you could also look at it just as a tool that it's you could use. It's just a technique. Yes. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. But this particular workshop enables me now to be able to use that in the therapy that right. I do. And at its most basic, it's used for trauma. Right. So you were mentioning that you have a few clients that maybe you'd like to use this with. Mm-hmm. And the clients that I have that I'm thinking of using it with are diagnosed with PTSD. Mm-hmm. Not from like... Post-traumatic stress disorder. Thank you. are on a lot of acronyms See, out. You're, you're doing good. You're being the interviewer. That's what you do. Okay. Not from like war kind of situations, my particular clients, yeah. but from domestic violence situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is very common. Right. Do you want to talk for a minute about PTSD? Would you do that? Sure. PTSD is a reaction that we have. Like I said, it's called post-traumatic stress disorder, and that kind of explains what it is. Mm -hmm. It's when we go through a trauma, usually a big T trauma. So (laughs) I keep having to back up and explain more things. In psychology, we have big T traumas and small T traumas. And small T traumas can be things like, you know... It could be anything. Anything, Anything really. that causes you trauma. Anything yeah. that causes you upset. I think the one that stuck in my head is because you said it earlier is like failing a test. Right. And I know that seems like that's not a trauma. That's just a bad thing that happens. But bad things that happened are trauma mm-hmm. and in some very small way. Right. And, and sometimes those things can pile up and we can have reactions just because of a lot of small T traumas. Mm-hmm. And then there are big T traumas. Like mom said, war, violence in the household. Basically feeling like your life is being threatened either having something happen to you watching it happen to someone else or even sort of expanding the definition in psychology to like hearing about those things happening right because in our world i mean we have a lot of of vicarious trauma from war and from mass shootings and and everything like that so we're kind of expanding the definition to acknowledge that those things can cause us to have stress reactions to trauma situations but basically when we go through that what ptsd does to us is later it makes us have reactions to things that are not those traumas but that remind our body of those traumas right so we can go into that fight flight freeze thing and we can react to certain triggers in certain situations as if we are back in the trauma that we had experienced before exactly is that a that's very good. Okay. One of the things that always kind of comes to my mind is, and I don't know where I heard it or where I learned it, but that PTSD is actually a memory disorder. It's It's got to do with that our memories are catching us up right. uh, in this place where like we're stuck. It's like an overreactive. Yeah, exactly. Like it's associating these certain memories with other things, which it does to keep us safe. Right. Because our bodies and brains are basically saying like, hey, this reminds me of that horrible, horrible thing that happened to us and I want to protect us from another horrible thing that might happen to us so let's get out of here right i think i love the idea of of right away reframing that these things that we go through with ptsd and other trauma issues the bottom line is that our brain is trying to protect us yeah in the end it it's actually 
a good thing that we have these things in our brain that do this for us or we would be in big trouble all the time. And even things like dissociation is kind of part of PTSD, like sort of when you go out of your body, that's Mm -hmm. dissociation. And even things like dissociative identity disorder, what people used to call multiple personalities, that's a trauma response as well. So, I mean, I know there are some people who think that doesn't exist. I think it exists in some form, but... That is a trauma response to protect you from usually ongoing trauma. So it's your brain doing something pretty extreme to keep you from further trauma. And I think it's cool that our brains do that. Absolutely. I think it's painted in the media in a negative light, but we have these certain defense mechanisms built in. They're maladaptive. And that's why we need therapy to work on them. But still good. Well, and that's what EMDR's focus is, is, is taking that maladaptive defense that we tried to survive something and trying to integrate positives into it and shifting it just a bit so that it is more adaptive right. to be a healthier way to live. So that's the bottom line of it. And if you think about it, that's what all therapy is. Sure, yeah. It's it's trying to reprocess and, and refocus. Reframe, and like you reframe. said before. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So mom's staring at all of her spread out I have notes, notes, not sure everywhere. Start. <laughs> so let's start with, how about you explain, because we explained what EMDR stands for, but mm-hmm. what is it? If I went into your office and I asked for EMDR, mm-hmm. what would happen? A lot of what you would begin with is very much like we already do in talk therapy because the first thing that you have to do is to sit with the client and I have to say this first and foremost repeatedly throughout this training uh, she kept going back to how important it is to be aligned with your client which you and I Anna talk about all the time how important it is to have rapport with your client which we especially talked about in our last episode the mailbag episode when Mm -hmm. we were talking about finding a counselor is the most important thing is how you feel you get on with that counselor Mm -hmm. and how you feel that you have rapport with that person exactly so again back to that now that even this as a specific technique you need that rapport for it to work right and depending on your counselor, if you're going into a counselor to specifically because you, you think you've heard about EMDR and you think it might help you, I think that primarily people who are drawn to that are people who are stuck in a, a negative loop Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's PTSD or just, it can also be anxiety. If you're sure. stuck in an anxiety loop where you always go to the same thoughts and you want to change the way that your brain is handling those thoughts. And so you and I, Anna, talked about this. You know, EMDR kind of has that, ooh. It's yeah. a little. <laughs> so, it's well, that's spooky, why let's spooky. talk about what we would experience because I think some people who don't, aren't in the field, don't know what EMDR is, don't know what we mean when we say it's kind of woo-woo. Yeah, right. So what so, if I came in and knew nothing about EMDR, mm-hmm. but hey, my friend said EMDR would help with all the trauma, mm-hmm. and I go into you and you're an EMDR therapist, what would we do? I strap you down. And- <laughs> it's Have you seen Have you seen a clockwork orange? If it's the, <laughs> yeah. With the eye you thing. Your eyeballs no. open. No, it's not that. Yes. Please don't. Don't not stop like listening now all. because that's not what it is. Please don't. Um, so the beginning of therapy would be very similar to if you were just going in for talk therapy because your therapist is going to sit down with you and talk to you about why you're coming in and what perhaps you see as your trauma. And your therapist might spend quite a lot of time, maybe even more than one session, just getting to where the heart of that is. Because what we're looking for is, it's hard to talk about this without talking about the brain stuff, but we'll go back to the brain stuff. We're looking for your negative thought, your negative, that one negative thing that is... is uh, Central to central, what's going on. Right. 
And so the therapist is going to, so just for the sake of doing a weird little example, uh-huh. I'll even use the one that the, the trainer used. And she said, you know, so the this client was on a canoe trip when she was a teenager and got in a position where the canoe flipped on top of her and she was trapped for a moment. And so this client comes into therapy and says, the reason I'm coming in is because every time we go near the water, every time I start to have this feeling of being trapped and feeling panicky. Mm. And so the therapist then would talk to the person about, are there other times in your life that you felt this? And so we focus down, focus down, kind of make a list of any time that she has felt that way. Then we have to come up with like a specific phrase that encompasses what that feeling is. Mm-hmm. So when she was under the canoe and, and the other ideas were maybe she was stuck on an elevator once, mm-hmm. one time, you know, a little uh, another little kid kind of trapped her in a corner and she felt like she couldn't get out. Those things are very different experiences, and yet they kind of have the same same negative thought. Right. Right. And so we label that, that negative cognition. A lot of the terminology is like terminology that you would hear in CBT. Cognitive behavioral therapy. Thank you for always translating. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. You just get so in the zone. I will throw out the acronyms, and Anna will translate for us today. So maybe for that particular client, her negative cognition would be, I'm trapped. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds like what it is, boils down to. Right. So then ideally, okay, I'm going to kind of put this in a nutshell. And there are different ways, and I'm going to explain it the way that I learned it in this training. They're like all therapy, you can kind of branch out and do it differently. Mm -hmm. But so the person eventually, now there are other steps in between, but eventually what will actually be happening is that the client will visualize and usually that's in the form of like trying to think of a picture but some people can't really do that very well right so it might be like a sensation or something they focus on that image we call it an image focus on the image of being trapped being trapped and whichever one of those experiences was the worst so for this particular client it was probably actually the canoe thing so she pictures in her mind this being trapped under this canoe and she gets that image as clear as she can and while she's thinking about that she pairs it with the thought I am trapped mm-hmm. I am trapped so what EMDR is at its heart is it's exposure therapy so it's exposing you to the trauma to kind of that's where that desensitization thing comes in exactly which is like it, what that basically means is kind of what it sounds like it's making us less sensitive to experiencing the effects of that trauma right so at this point in in what I have been doing in therapy, because I am a talk therapist, and I believe, Anna, you would handle it the same way. Yeah. You want to talk for a minute about how we would work on desensitizing a person in trauma? Kind of that, just with less structure, I guess. Exactly, without the interesting little yeah. framework so, around So it. that's kind of where I thought you were going to go, is mm-hmm. explaining the EMDR has like uh, you said there are different ways, but like there's hand movements that and go I'll, with yep, it. I'll do that next. You could do it like tap. There, there's yeah. yeah, you'll go into that. Yeah. But what I would do is just whenever we're talking about things that are happening and those feelings come up, we connect it back to the trauma. Right. And we say like, okay, how does that match with what you've experienced in the past and how is that affecting what you're feeling now and let's talk about that for a second and get you in that headspace and get you to be aware I mean I would say it as awareness like being aware of how that is affecting you and mm-hmm. then reconnecting it to reframe what's going on now not as just a reaction now but something that has come from the past right so the way I look at EMDR 
is I look at using what I've already done with talk therapy, which is very well explained that Anna just did, and just adding this piece that is supposed to be activating our neurons. Right. So it's like plugging in the the actual physical brain piece. Which is really important in trauma. Mm-hmm. And mom mm-hmm. will talk about that in a second. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that is, that's a huge piece. So it's just a way to focus in. Right. It's a way to, to hone in on what we're actually working on. So then the actual physical part of this is called bilateral stimulation. And what we're doing is we're stimulating the right hemisphere, the left hemisphere, the right hemisphere, the left hemisphere. And we're doing that for a couple of different reasons. One is because we want to integrate the right and the left together. Mm -hmm. But the other part of it is just basically to stimulate those neurons where that memory is, you know, and, and then hopefully reprocess to, as you said, desensitize what's there right now, which is I'm trapped, I'm trapped, I'm trapped, I'm trapped, to desensitize that to a point and then eventually reprogram it, so to speak, so that when we think of that, we think not only we don't get freaked out about it, but instead we say, I'm free. So we come up with- I'm not trapped right now. Right. We come up with a positive cognition Mm -hmm. that we're going to kind of put in there. It's not like we're changing memories. It's just that we're putting one of the coolest ways- I feel like I'm going that There's way. There's a lot of way. different ways, sure. One of the coolest ways I like to that she explained it that I really could get a picture of is is that in our brain we have these billions and billions of neuron networks, and so you can kind of think of that as like each little spot is something that we have a memory of or a thought of. So like in this little spot over here, I have all my memories that have to do with how to cook. And over here, I have all my memories of when my kids were a baby. And this you know, is very inside out. It is. Like, if you if you haven't listened or seen Inside Out, go watch it. It's an amazing mental health movie. It is very cool. But they have little like memory balls, basically, that are kind of associated. They're associated with different feelings and stuff like that. And so, if you, I wish we could do visuals for this because if you could see those neurons all laid out, those neuron networks, they kind of overlap. And that's why when you're thinking about, like you're in the middle of thinking about what to cook for supper and one of your neuron networks overlaps with whenever I cook, I listen to music. Mm. And so then you start to think about a song and then you, you know how your brain, I mean, we do that with everything, right? Yeah, associations, yeah. Right. And that's your neurons. So the idea is that with that negative network that says, I am trapped, I am trapped. One of the things that we want to do is build some new bridges, connect some other networks that say, like, I'm free or I can figure out how to get out of any situation. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm intelligent. Right. Those can kind of connect through bridges if we stimulate our brain to do that. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about before how our brain is so amazing that it does change because of trauma. Those networks change right. because of trauma. But the really cool thing is that we can change them again. Well, our physical brains change because exactly. of trauma. Exactly. But we have neuroplasticity, which means that our brains can change back. We can keep changing our brains. Isn't that amazing? It's really cool. The brain's cool. Brain stuff. Brain stuff is cool. Oh my gosh. That, when Anna and I have been at workshops and stuff together, I really missed Anna because <laughs> she's she's my bud. I she's, wasn't able to go she, on this one. Ugh, she's the one who keeps me on track. So <laughs> I, I had to work really fine. hard. So, okay, I do want to get into the brain stuff, but explain the hand stuff. Okay, <laughs> the hand stuff, the hand stuff. And that's kind of what you see if you watch a video about it or right. something. So the idea is um, you sit with the client and you want their eye movement to cross over the midline. So you want their eye movement to go from right to left 
at least enough to cross over the midline because you think about the midline of your brain. So you, it's not like, and so you've seen these videos, there are different ways to do it. One way to do it is to literally sit rather close to a client and to use your hand or your fingers and to just move your hand. So mom's holding up her hand in kind of a scout I think motion. it looks like Jesus. You know those the, statues the, of oh, Jesus? Oh, the, the Renaissance. <laughs> the baby like, Jesus. The holding up his two fingers. <laughs> the baby Jesus sign. Like, you know, when they say like scouts honor and they yeah, hold up their yeah, hand, it the sort of looks fingers. like that too. And so, so scouts are Jesus. Oh, that's right. <laughs> One of the things they teach about attunement, this is kind of far out there, is that you're supposed to sit so that your left shoulder, the counselor, left shoulder is kind of in front of the client's left shoulder, which means the client's kind of off to the side. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So yeah. you're supposed to be left shoulder to left shoulder, which I think is cool because in my office, that's how it is. Oh, cool. So I just did that because, yeah. you know. Ha, ha, ha. I know, <laughs> I know stuff without knowing it. And that's supposed to, because that connects our brain, our mirror neurons. Oh, man. Go back to, was it 10, no. 12, 30? 40, I don't know. I want to say 22. That doesn't sound right either. We did a really cool, at this. 22! I was right! Good job! Good job. That was one of our best ones, I think. Was it? (laughs) I think so. If you want to hear, we go deep dive into what mirror neurons are. It's episode 22. Right. So when we sit left shoulder to left shoulder, our brains are more likely to attune. Some of this stuff is that wee-oo stuff. Yeah, it does. Okay. It does feel wee yeah. <laughs> So I'm sitting with my left shoulder in front of their left shoulder. I'm using my left hand, which is not easy for me to do. Yeah. And she said if you absolutely have to use your right hand, you can sit differently, but for best attunement. And so then I'm taking my hand uh, back and forth, like right to left. You can either go straight across, like horizontally, or you can go diagonally, oh, which geez. is really oh, hard geez. for me. But Anna's getting this look on her face that's like how I feel when I was doing it. It gives so, me a headache. Because, like, <laughs> to me, this is all, like, kind of close to hypnotism. It's very close to hypnotism. As a matter of fact, <laughs> oh, no. Freud talked oh, about no. it. Freud talked about bilateral stimulation. Really? When he was all caught up in the well, hypnotism was, stuff. As you were talking about the... And doesn't this look like the pendulum swinging yeah, back and forth? Yeah. It's very similar. It's back and forth movement. And uh-huh. when you were talking about the overlapping neuron systems, like that's kind of free association, which Freud also did. Was Freud right about stuff? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> a little bit. I think Freud was right about a lot of things. Nah, let's not go that far. But he got a little cocaine in <laughs> I go that far. So the eye movement is what this particular therapy was named after. But actually, the creator of the therapy even said later she wished she hadn't named it that because it's not really just about the eyes. Right now, that's just a tool you use to do what you can do otherwise right. too. So you can use the eye movement, but there are some people who can't. And Ann and I were talking about in when I was at this training, the person whom I was working with had a really hard time just moving his eyes and not moving his head. And you can't move your head because that doesn't stimulate the right, brain because your eyes have to pass over the mid plane so you got to hold your head still so maybe you should do the clockwork orange thing where you hold, yeah put your know. head in a vice but if that doesn't work you can do some other things one thing they do it's called theratapping okay and they have these little things that you buy for 150 dollars wow I it up. these little she called them buzzies our teacher called them buzzies, buzzies which i kind of like it's just live bees you're holding live <laughs> bees in your hand <laughs> So you put one in each hand and they, they like vibrate like your phone vibrates. Right. So like the right one vibrates and the left one vibrates. <laughs> you just buy little cheap vibrators. Just little cheap You could do that, I guess. But you'd have to like hand. turn it on and off. Yeah, you need remotes. <laughs> <laughs> but with the... 
TheraTapper, the clinician controls like the speed of it because you sometimes the speed if it, if the speed is pretty fast, mm-hmm. that is more for more intense work. Like if you're working with a really serious trauma later on in the therapy, when you're trying to reprocess with a positive thought, the movement is supposed to be very slow because when when the movement is slow, when the bilateral stimulation is slow, it implants deeper, and you want that to happen. Okay. When you're trying to get rid of the thought, you're going you go pretty faster. fast. So there's a lot of little parts that this is just kind of giving this you. This is a brief overview. This is the highlight reel. This is the highlight reel so, of yeah. EMDR. So if the if the eye movement doesn't work or if it's not comfortable, and if you would go see a therapist, they might use their hand. They might also use a light bar, oh. which is over $500 because I looked that wow. up too. And it's actually um, what it says. It's a bar that has little flashing lights and it goes back and, it goes forth, back like and forth and you're but again you hold your head still and your eyes watch it like well it's a, like when you're at the doctors and they say follow this with your uh-huh. eyes exactly they did give some warning about the light bar for people who might have seizure say, triggers not very yeah. good for photosensitivity so yeah and at this training several people mentioned that the eye thing gave them a headache Ah, and yeah. I thought that was interesting. I I think that's probably what would happen with you. Did you probably. get a headache when your diet? I didn't. Did I didn't do it very long. No. We started with it, but then we pretty quickly went to tapping, which is the other gotcha. option. So if, especially if I had a client, a child client who who wasn't yeah. doing very well with that, with a child, I would actually stand behind the child. I would tell them what I was going to do. And then as you're processing, you're having them focus on the negative picture and the negative words, just focusing on it. And you're tapping their shoulder, right shoulder, left shoulder, right shoulder, left shoulder. And that's a bilateral stimulation. It does basically the same thing as the eyes, but they say that the research shows the eyes the eye movement is the most work better right the most effective so okay am i getting this right in that the when you say bilateral stimulation all that is is making both sides of your brain work alternately to connect with each other but like by doing the eye thing or the tapping thing it makes you register so like if i tap my right shoulder my left hemisphere would register it's the opposite and then when you tap your left shoulder your right brain registers so then you have to yeah okay tapping and they actually use the tapping thing not only while you're processing the negative memory but they use the tapping like they have the client themselves like sit and tap their legs oh sure um or tap their shoulders while they're processing like safe space like after they've talked about the trauma and they kind of need to bring them back down and calm them down mm-hmm. and they talk about safe space or things like that, they they use the tapping for that too. But the idea then is you take kind of a, and we kind of do this in talk therapy too, where you say to a client, you know, how's your anxiety level right now? What's your distress level? Depending on how you word it. I know when I work with kids, I usually say one to 10. Like right. On one yeah, to 10. I, usually use a, I do that with adults too though. Right. So. This particular trainer used one to one hundred. I found that difficult. That's a that's that's a lot of numbers. <laughs> yeah, that's too many. So um, I mean, I guess it's like a percentage. Like, right. what percent upset are you right now? Exactly. In school, we learned it as SUDS. Remember that? S- uh, subjective S- units of distress scale. Very good. Thank you. Man, she's good with acronyms. <laughs> Woo! Woo! <laughs> I don't think that's right. Is it right? It sounds maybe yes. right. No, that's exactly right. Yes. Suds. Um, wow. So, I was right. You are so smart, Anna. 
<laughs> You're so smart. You don't even know how smart you are. So like at the beginning of the session, you would ask the client right now, uh, one to 10 or one to 100, depending on which scale you would use, but it's suds. Right. What's your level of distress? As we start our session today, what's your level of distress? And it depends on your client. I know, I'm sure, Anna, you've had that experience where you have somebody come in who's like freaking out. Yeah, yeah. And they're already like at a 10 or a 98 right. or It's like, ah, oh, cool. So we just need to do crisis intervention today. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. And then you have other clients who come in who are real chill. Yeah. And they're like, I'm not sure why I'm here today. And then yeah, you I'm get into Yeah, I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about. So then while you're doing the eye movement or the tapping, you do, you do a few minutes of it, depending. It's all very subjective. Sure. And then you stop and you say, okay, now right now, when you think of the image and you think of the statement – what is your number now? And ideally, what's supposed to happen is the number's supposed to go down. As you go through the process Because you're desensitizing, sure. right. Yes. And this could take, it depends on the trauma. You could get it done in one session. You could get it done, you know, you could go for three sessions. It could take weeks, depending on the trauma. And it's, and it's not that piece, the eye movement or the tapping is a vital part of it, but it's not in any way like the whole picture. There's so much talk therapy that goes with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's, not just like you go into an office and they'd immediately start doing the eye thing. Right. Like they need to get to know you first. So they need to make sure the rapport is there. And then they need to make sure that you guys are in a good place to, to start doing the actual thing. There's a lot. There is a lot. And that was one of the things that this particular trainer, because she has done EMDR for like 10 years or something, she said that sometimes people send clients to her who have been in talk therapy and they have a good rapport with their therapist, but their therapist doesn't do EMDR. So she said, then the client walks in her office and says, okay, I'm here for EMDR. Let's do this. And, you know, and she's like, like, no, 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 like, no. Yeah. And she said, you know, we still have to, we still have to build rapport. Right. And she said, sometimes people are kind of like, eh, you know, let's just, <laughs> I don't want to just start whipping your finger around, just, lady. <laughs> hypnotize me already. Do the voodoo stuff to do me the- right now. <laughs> it really does seem voodoo-y sometimes. And even she said that she sometimes feels that way about yeah. it, you know. But she has seen so much good come out of it, right. you know. That- and it's all about, you know, the whole first day of the training was all about brain <laughs> stuff. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> For once, you made the weird noise and not me. <laughs> I dipped a stool over under oh. the table. Oh. Everybody's okay. Dig <laughs> Everybody's all right. Don't be alarmed. So the first day was brain first stuff. First day was all about brain stuff and about how our brain... We've talked about our amygdala on other episodes, haven't we? I believe so, but give us a quick refresher. Amygdala is one of my favorite things. <laughs> What's your favorite brain part? The amygdala. <laughs> Just because the name is so fun. BuzzFeed quiz. What part of the brain are you? I'm the amygdala. <laughs> so the amygdala is that little, it's actually a very tiny little part of your brain, but it's the part of your brain that senses when there's danger. But this is kind of interesting. It can't figure out if it's an actual danger until it talks to the hippocampus and says, hey, is this really a danger? Because <laughs> your hippocampus has all your memories. So that's part of the problem with PTSD is that that connection is is blurry. Yeah. The physical, the brain connection. Right. I was telling Anna before we started that one of my favorite parts was that the way she explained it was really cool about the hippocampus. Because when we make memories, when you're at an event, let's say you go to a birthday party and you're sitting there and your hippocampus is like taking a picture. This reminded me, Anna, of when you guys were little. Do you remember when you guys were little? (laughs) Yeah. And you would like build something, especially Gabe did this a lot. 
build this big Lego thing. And he would say, take a picture of that, Mommy. And back in the day, you didn't have cell phones where no. you could just take a picture and then have it and yeah, never have think a million about it again. Pictures. But she would have to get out a physical camera and take it. And she didn't want to do that. So no. she's like, I'm taking a picture with my brain. And then she would go, click. And I was really doing it. Uh-huh. Because my hippocampus was on duty. Because that's exactly what our hippocampus does. <laughs> Take a picture. It takes a picture. And the way this trainer explained it was, it's like a very clear panoramic picture. Everything is in focus and it's very clear. And it also then puts like a time stamp on the picture. Mm-hmm. It says... Not only like this was 2020, this was February, whatever, 2020. But it also says like this party took four hours. So your brain kind of remembers about how long this memory took. Wow. Which so and then it's like it's kind of like it's on a little card and it gets put into your file cabinet. But what happens when we have trauma is that everything goes wonky in our in our whole right. brain. Yeah. What happens to the hippocampus is it can't take that nice, clear, panoramic picture. And instead, it's like everything is kind of blurry. And instead of taking the panoramic picture, it takes like little snap, snap, snap bits and pieces of what's happening. And also, it doesn't get time stamped. So a traumatic memory is blurry. And it's flashy, you know, like click, click, click. Yeah. And it doesn't have a reality of time. And that's why when we're having those PTSD flashbacks, it's very disoriented. It's like, yeah. wait a minute, I, I remember this and then I remember that. It's not that. like you go into like a... When people say like they're having a PTSD flashback, it's not like they're going into another time and they're reliving it A, B, C, D, E, what happened. It's just like flashes of distressing things. Exactly. It's like a nightmare. Like if you've ever been in a nightmare and there's just like disconnected images coming at you, that's, that's what it feels like. Exactly. There's a really good Netflix show called Unbelievable that I binge watched. It was really good. And it's about a woman who is raped, a young woman who is raped in her home. And she tries to tell this to the police. And it ends up that they don't believe her. And that it, it gets connected. It all gets it, it's it all gets connected to to other crimes. And she gets justice eventually. But the, the point is that one of the things that's making it difficult for them to believe her is because of what you just said. And that like they're asking her how long it took. And at first she's like, I don't know, an hour. And then later she's like, I don't know, 10 minutes. That's, like, that's exactly right. That's she, exactly she it. And it, like, I mean, it's horrible to watch because it's a woman being brutalized. But it shows her, like, in the moment, like, she's having flashbacks to when it happened. It it presents trauma very realistically where she'll have a flashback to the event, but it'll just be, like, her view of looking at a picture on the wall because uh-huh. that's what snapshotted at that moment. Exactly. And, like, kind of, like, what she focused on about the person attacking her in that moment. It presented it very realistically Mm -hmm. and it was it was it if you want kind of a how this works in the real world and how it affects you know like victims of rape who aren't really believed that's exactly a good show to watch to see that perspective of it and that was something that she talked the trainer talked about because she works with litigation Mm. um, with trauma a lot and she said that you know like Law enforcement people often don't get that. Exactly. They have a mindset of like, well, if you don't remember that in the order or you don't remember what time, how can you not remember what, how long it took, you know? And and they're like, well, what was he wearing? And you're like, I have no idea. How could you not remember that? Because they they really don't 
they really don't get how our brain I think everyone needs a crash course in trauma and psychology in general uh-huh. and stuff because it affects everything especially people who are dealing with traumatized individuals like you need a crash course in trauma but right. we don't get that we don't have that kind of cross training I think what I would I would most like everybody to hear in this episode is the idea that when you're going through trauma and or anxiety when you're going through stuff We often have that thing where we're like, this is weird and I'm not doing it right. And Mm. why do I have these kind of feelings? And and we've talked often about universality and knowing that it it feels good to know other people have gone through that. When you really start to understand what our brain does because of trauma. And when I say trauma, I always want to kind of add anxiety. But actually anxiety is a kind of trauma. trauma. Right. And so when you really start to figure out what your brain is physically doing during those times it all makes so much sense it makes you feel better it's like oh I'm not just weird it's the way my brain was made I have a lot of clients that I have to process through that with where they're like why am I feeling this it doesn't make any sense right but I like first off off I start with it doesn't have to make sense if you're feeling it you don't have to put that limitation on yourself you can just feel it right but also it does make sense and this is what your brain is doing and this is why it's doing it uh-huh. So in the context of how your brain is functioning, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Your brain thinks it makes sense. Your brain thinks it's taking the correct precautions. From the outside, it's maladaptive because it's it's not working with the current situation. But at the time, that was a really good thing for your brain to do to protect you. I can't remember what training I was at, but I was also at some kind of training where they talked about maladaptive behaviors only being maladaptive to the situation But at one point, we developed them because they were adaptive. Mm -hmm. We were adapting to the situation and we were doing something that made sense at the time. Exactly. But then later, when things changed, they became unhealthy. Right. It frees us so much when we start to understand why. Yeah. You know, and it's because our brain, you know, that's what's happening with our brain. I know that this is maybe too much self-disclosure. During this training, Anna mentioned that we were in dyads and we were supposed to. We were supposed to come up with a traumatic event that we had somewhat processed so we wouldn't, I mean, she didn't want like anybody start to from, like, from yeah. zero, yeah. Because um, she talked about how sometimes in these workshops, people like, she has to like take them aside and do therapy with them for a while because. Wow. So I was trying not to go too deep. And yet, <laughs> the most traumatic thing that kept coming back to my mind was when my husband died. Mm. And it was the moment when I walked into the room and found my husband dead. And that, for me, even even though I've processed it a lot of different ways, it's still a very clear image in my mind. Like I can picture it. Right. And I often picture it. You know, like right. it, And there are things that trigger that image. But this was the, what I wanted to share about it. The weirdest thing was, as we processed it and talked about the feeling that went with it, <laughs> this is really weird, the feeling that went with it is, I'm not good enough. Hmm. I'm not good enough. And I kind of, I said it out loud and then I sat there and looked at the the person I was working with and I was like, what does that have to do with my husband yeah. dying? But then we kind of stepped back and did the thing I told you about before where you're supposed to think of other times that you had that same feeling. And the things that came back to me were wonky because hmm. they were things like, um, you know, in high school, not making the cheerleading squad or the pom-pom squad right. the first time I tried for that. And, you know, um, stuff from the divorce from my sure. divorce from your dad. Those kind of things like started popping into my brain. And I was like, Whoa. and And it was true that what was at the bottom of that feeling, the, one of the feelings that I had when I found Bob was that I wasn't good enough to keep him alive. Yeah. That I didn't keep him alive. 
that was my job to keep him alive for years that was my job well and for and years I, you did and I failed you didn't fail well that but that's the negative right that's cognition. the negative cognition yes and so even though that's a really weird image to pair with that negative cognition that's what I worked on right I mean and I didn't obviously I it's still there sure but if I were to go forward and work on it more and that's that's where I was going to with all this long personal stuff is that sometimes we have negative cognitions that are so rooted in us that they apply to like we'll have a new situation happen and we reapply that old cognition of oh well that's because I'm not good enough yeah well that's because I'm not smart enough well that's because I'm not whatever Mm -hmm. I'm not it might take us a long long time actually a lifetime yeah to continually work on that and continually try to reprogram and to put in some positives there I'm doing my best I am good enough you know Mm -hmm. whatever the positive cognition would be to to battle that right but we all have stuff so I guess what surprises me about the EMDR to hear about it is that you go to this traumatic memory because that's the traumatic memory you were working on Mm -hmm. but you go before that so what about the times when your negative cognition came from that first trauma and you can't find anything before that then you don't okay if you don't if you're like I've never felt anything like like that before go forward you can what could happen in the future? No, no, not like the future. Like, okay, if I had a thing happen to me when I was five and it was terrible right. and that's where this like I'm helpless thing comes from or right. I'm trapped or whatever your cognition is, do you like go the, like, forward for the rest life? of the life? Okay, yeah, until you get... that's where you get that list? Right. Okay. And then you're supposed to look at the list and actually one of the other things might stick out more that you feel like it was even worse. Okay. You know, even though at five you were really traumatized, Something might have happened to you when you were 16 that was... That made that That really, right, really made it concrete for you and really negative. Your therapist is supposed to let you choose which one you want to use. So you don't necessarily have to... They do kind of want you to, to take the heaviest one. And what she said about that was one of the reasons you want to take the most significant one was that while you're working on the less significant one, what will probably happen is the more significant one will burst through. Show forward And anyway, you yeah. won't be able to focus on this one. Sure. So one of the people asked specifically kind of snarkily, snarkily, <laughs> it seems like the whole eye movement or the tapping is basically just a distraction while you're doing exposure therapy, like talk therapy. And she kind of stood there for a minute and she said... Yeah, that's an argument. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way to handle that. Oh, man. Yeah, that's an argument. Okay, whatever, lady. And, you know, she said, she said, you know, there's research that shows that this works. Yeah. So she said. Well, even if it is. Well, so what? Exactly. So if just <laughs> if it's cares? just distraction and it works, then, yeah. you know. She is a neurobiologist or something by her original career or whatever. Yeah. And so she really, you know, no. If somebody would ask a, a brain question, she'd just be like, blah, 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 and like hook all these brain pieces <laughs> together. And, and so and she. like sitting there with stars in your eyes I like, know. wow. <laughs> Will you be my new best friend? <laughs> we should try to get her on the podcast. Ooh, that would be fun. Email her. She said if we want if we want to uh, have more help later, we should email her. So <laughs> I might email her. Email her. Dr. Jennifer. Dr. Jennifer. Call me Dr. Here. Jennifer. If you're out there. <laughs> it was, she was amazing, though. Okay. Do you want to go into brain stuff or yeah. a little bit? Let's, I and I don't know how you want to, because you, you already explained why trauma does what it does with the hippocampus and the mm-hmm. amygdala. The why picture. does the bilateral stimulation work with what we're doing? The biggest thing is that they want to 
integrate the right and the left. That there is everything works. <laughs> everything works better when we're all working together. I guess that's, <laughs> that's the bottom line here. <laughs> I think, actually, I think this is about the time in the presentation when the snarky comment was made. <laughs> Sounds like you're just saying that it uh, did. Let me see. Okay, let me go flippy floppy through my notes. Did you write it down? Somewhere I did. <laughs> you wrote down the snarky comment that someone made? <laughs> That's how I take notes. You know, at one point I stopped and started taking separate notes thinking we might do a podcast about this. <laughs> An episode. I'm sorry. I used the wrong word. I wasn't going to correct you. Thank you. Let's go back to that negative cognition (laughs) that I have apparently caused in you. I know that the bilateral thing was very vague. And that's why the snarky comment came up. Because she talked about integrating and she talked about wanting to build new bridges for the neurons, for the neuron networks. Is that why the bilateral stimulation is important? Because it strengthens those connections? Yes. It builds new bridges. Gotcha. I want to talk for a minute about the amygdala because we kind of, it's almost like it kind of gets a bad rap because it's causing all this chaos. Yeah. but It's just trying its best. Right. But our amygdala is vital to us because it's our survival. So it's linked into everything. How about this? I want to talk for a minute about the thalamus. Okay. I don't feel like I've talked very much about the thalamus in my life. I don't think you've life. mentioned the th- Oh, in your life. <laughs> there you're talking about in this episode. No, in your life, I guess, I guess I wouldn't know that. The thalamus is our gateway for all of our sensory stuff. Okay. So everything that you see and feel with your fingertips and hear, all of your senses basically come to the thalamus. And it's the relay station. It sends everything to like your frontal cortex that's going to be telling you what this is. And into all the pathways, down to your little hippocampus to look up a memory of what is that again? What am I looking at? What is that I see? So all of your senses get filtered basically through your thalamus. But this is what I wanted to say that's really cool and what has to do with trauma. The only sense that doesn't go through your thalamus is your smell, your sense of smell. And it goes directly to your amygdala, like zoom. Hmm. It doesn't have to go through your thalamus first. And that's why smell is the strongest trigger uh, for memories. Now, you might think, well, visual would be stronger, but it's actually not because no. your brain has to do more processing with that. Now, we're talking about milli- milliseconds here, but still. But it, it hits it, you it, stronger. Right. So... Not only is smell more of a trigger to put you into the bad memories and the bad thought processes, but it's also a great way to snap you out of it. Right. So if a person is is having a flashback or having a panic attack, smells are very effective in changing the course of that. So if you are a person who struggles with having either flashbacks or panic attacks or just Mm -hmm. high anxiety issues, if you find like some um, essential oils that you really like or a cologne that gives you comfort, some kind of smell that gives you comfort that you can have with you, Mm -hmm. that you can, that sounds weird, but. No, that's, I've, when I know we're doing trauma work, like if I'm doing trauma work with a client, I will tell them like, okay, next time we're going to really dive into this, bring something from home that smells good, that makes you feel safe when you smell it. So like a candle that your family used to do or like a piece of clothing from someone you love. So I have them bring in something to have it. Anna, you're really smart. Thanks, Mom. I'm just just <laughs> being reminded through this whole thing how smart you are. I Because I have a savant-like memory of acronyms. <laughs> and you do really good things with your clients, too. Thanks, Bob. But overall, trauma causes all different parts of your brain's 
two brains. All the brains. You have more than one brain. (laughs) I only have one. To just function differently than normal. And that's why everything gets kind of out of focus and fuzzy. That's where like your insula is the part of your brain that kind of regulates your physical body. And that even gets affected by trauma. Can I put a quick... Please do. Because you said not function like normal. I would say not function like neurotypical. Thank you. I shouldn't use the word normal. But it is normal for what you've gone through. Right. That what we're saying is that this, like you said, that universality thing where this is what happens when you've been through what you've been through. Right. And that is an expected course for your brain to take. Right. Like this thing that is going on with your brain feels bad. Doesn't doesn't feel good when you're experiencing it, Mm -hmm. but it's expected from what we know about how brains work. Good job. Thanks for correcting me. Well, it's not. Yeah, it is because I shouldn't use that word. Well, I just have some people who who say like they're not normal because of what they are going through. That's a trigger word itself. Yeah. You know, those things that we go through when a a client is is dealing with trauma, some of the things that we've talked about before are things like that. They dissociate and that they feel numb. They feel like they're not in their body. Mm Mm-hmm. Some of those things are because of your insula, and that's because your body's not regulating neurotypically. There you go. Another big word. I, Another big Anna word I, that I have to use. She always gives uh, me these big hard words. I, I feel like we should be trying to point out where these brain parts are. I know that doesn't matter, but it matters to me. <laughs> I know. I don't know how visually you can do that. If I were pointing at they're in the very. Face. They're in the very, well. On my back of the head? Is it back of the head? No. Like inside the brain? In, inside It's like that in the way. middle of your yeah, head. Like yeah. the center of your whole skull. Kind of at the top. Amygdala is, isn't it like kind of at the top of your spinal cord? Right. Which is why it had, has such front. effect on like that fight, flight, freeze. That's why we go back to like our early ancestor it's our primal, days. It's yeah. very primal. It like knocks out all those higher brain functions. That's exactly right. That's actually perfect way to say what I was trying to say in a whole lot of words. <laughs> is that when we do go into that stress mode, when we have all that stress hormone, the cortisol all gets shot out everywhere. Right. And the our higher thinking brain basically shuts down. I mean, not completely, but... No, it does. But like, so... This also goes back to a training that I went to recently where a way to explain this, this is also going to be hard visually, so bear with me. A way to explain that to little kids is like holding your hand up with your thumb like tucked into your palm and then your four fingers like wrapped down over the thumb. Mm -hmm. And basically like that thumb is what we would call the amygdala, but for kids we would call it the downstairs brain. Mm-hmm. And then the the four fingers are the upstairs brain. So like the frontal lobe and the things that we use to like make decisions and the hippocampus and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's wrapped down over the thumb. But then when we experience a trigger, boo, those those four fingers like fly up and we lo- they call it like blowing your lid or like losing your ah. lid. So your upstairs brain goes away and you're just working with your downstairs brain. So we need to find a way to get your upstairs brain back online basically. Wow, that's perfect. That's and, a way to work with like little kids who don't right. care and, what the hippocampus is. <laughs> and this and that exact thing is what, what in this training they talk a, a lot about uh, working from the bottom up. Yes. So you work from the, the bottom of your brain up. You, you have to settle down that. Yeah. You have to meet your brain where it is in right. some respects. I mean, So when you're in the middle of that. One of those things that we do then when we're working with clients who have those kind of trauma and panic episodes and things like that is we do a lot of that mindfulness. And they talked a lot about that in this training too. That you have to, before you even start the whole eye movement or the tapping, you be sure that your client has 
resources yeah. that they can calm themselves down or that you can help them to calm down mm-hmm. once you get to that. So that's that's even in the, you know, kind of the beginning, the assessment part that you talk about mindfulness, you talk about, and you do some exercises with them and that kind of thing. And that I wanted to drop this in just because I just love this part <laughs> about the vagus nerve. Yeah, tell us. Because one of the things that we do a lot when your therapist says to you, you know, you're going to do some deep breathing to calm down. So we're going to do some deep breathing. I don't know about you, Anna, but a lot of times when I talk to my clients about breathing, they kind of look at me like, oh, yeah, whatever. This is stupid. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they do in all the stupid movies. Right. Or I have a client say, that doesn't work for me. And I'm like... That's false. That's false. You're wrong. That's false. (laughs) So if if you're a person who says, breathing deep doesn't work for me, the advice I would give you is maybe it's not quite being done correctly. Yeah, you're not doing it right. Right. I, I was trying to be gentle. I didn't want to get yelled it's at for not being, being done correctly. You're screwing up, dude. You're no. breathing wrong. <laughs> because if, if you're doing it right, you have to breathe very deeply, like really have your it's diaphragm. It's really conscious breathing. Yes. It's not just breathing that you do every day to stay alive. Right. That's why we call it therapeutic breathing or deep breathing. Right. It's a different kind of breathing. It's like running instead of walking. Exactly. And so going back to the, isn't it cool to be able to know why I'm reacting this way because of the things in my brain? Well, isn't it cool? I think this is really cool. The reason the deep breathing, it's not just a psychological thing. It's actually a physical, neurological thing that helps our body to calm down. And one of the big parts of that is a nerve that goes all through our body that's called the vagus nerve. And I would encourage you to look up a picture of this nerve. It's the the nerve that activates when you are uh, shooting craps at a table. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what happens in vegas days <laughs> in vegas it's actually spelled v-a-g-u-s I think. yes thank you <laughs> because if you look at a picture of it it's like just it's it's entwined i don't know what the word is all through your body yeah and it affects this nerve affects so many different organs and your amygdala and other parts of your brain as well when this nerve is activated it can help to slow your pulse and it can help to, you know, do a lot. Uh, it, it regulates it, a lot of your regulates your stomach processes. acids. Man, it does all kinds of stuff. So we have to think of a way to activate it. And one of the ways we can activate it is by taking a very, very deep breath because our diaphragm area pushes on the vagus nerve in a very specific way. So when we take a deep breath and that diaphragm activates, so an easy way to know if your diaphragm is activating is when you're taking a deep breath, if your chest stays where it is and your stomach moves in and out, Mm-hmm. That's how you're knowing you're taking a deep breath. You're filling up instead of right. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes little kids will do that thing where they <gasps> suck yeah. their belly in. And, yeah, really, yeah. really good at deep breathing. <gasps> yeah, <laughs> that's not what that is, kid. Yeah, that's wrong. But I just think that that is so exciting that activating that nerve can literally change the way our body is yeah, performing. physically. Right. And I was telling Anna that one of the things she talked about is that the vagus nerve is very prominent right behind your eyes. And so when little kids rub their eyes real With hard. With their whole and, hand, their whole knuckles. And Anna does that. She Even does, now. She does it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost a 30-year-old woman, and I still do that when I'm tired. But it's pretty cool because it's a self-soothing technique because you're activating your vagus nerve when you do that. So if you're too grown up to rub your eyes when you're tired or when you're upset... I do that when I'm stressed, too. I'll rub... It's like right under, like, the ridge of your eyebrow. Yeah. Like, I'll... That's exactly right. You do that. Yeah. Again, you're so smart. This is going to be called <laughs> the Anna so, so smart, smart episode. Even though you're the one that's been spouting on this awesome brain stuff. <laughs> I'm just like, I know what the acronym means. I know what it means. 
So the idea is these these weird wonky things that your therapist has you do, like deep breathing and and mindfulness, and they all have a purpose. They do. They're not they're not just some hokey crap. I was trying to think of that word, hokey pokey. What's the word? <laughs> hokey pokey. It's, it's not a hokey pokey. pokey. Yes, it's not or a hokey hocus pokey. Focus. Hocus or pocus. Hocus pocus. Voodoo. Voodoo. Wonky donkey. <laughs> Let's get that book and read it. Okay. Let's just do that. Let's do that on an episode. Okay. We'll do it on our Patreon. Okay. (laughs) Let's do that. Do a critical analysis. If you haven't heard the the Wonky Donkey donkey book, you got to read it. Or you got to watch the little grandma read it. Watch the little Irish. Irish? Ah! Is she Scottish? Either Scottish or Irish, but oh my God. I've seen that like a hundred times and I still. Winky, 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 (laughs) wonky, donkey. And then she laughs. And the baby loses her mind. I know. The baby's not laughing at all. It's just the old lady. It's really good. Baby's like, I don't find this humorous. It's <laughs> like, Grandma, can you finish my story? <laughs> okay, what didn't we talk about? Baby, I think you covered it. I think the bottom line is that EMDR is just another tool that is helpful for some people and will work for some people, and some people won't sure. enjoy that or they won't. And and we go, always go back to that self awareness piece. That you need to know the kind of person that you are. And also you need to know the kind of things you're dealing with too. Right. So if you're stuck in a very negative thought, um, spiraling thought or a negative cognition as they call it in this particular theory, that you just can't shake. Right. You know, it's been years and years and you just can't shake either a real negative image that you encountered in a trauma or just a negative thought that keeps coming back to you. EMDR might be a way to help reprocess and help your brain to develop some new neuro networking so that you can kind of move beyond that. Right. That's the, the hope. But the bottom line is to find what works for you. Yeah. How's that? I like it. Okay. Good job, mommy. <laughs> Good job. It really was a very good training. And I, I told Anna before we started, I just I need some time to process how yeah. I'm going to use this in my I'm forcing therapy. her to process it on mic instead it was, of just in her head. Yeah. But now I'm going to have to really do it good. in my head too. So okay. thank you for letting me share that with you. You're welcome. Thank you for telling us so I didn't have to do any research this week. That was kind of nice. <laughs> but you're a very good interviewer, so you did good. Oh, thanks. This okay. This is the I Love Anna show. Would you... <laughs> I didn't even I didn't earn that I didn't I there have been times where I felt like I have earned that and I didn't this time <laughs> so I would like to thank our sipsters Please our do. listeners because thanks for bearing with me and processing the training that I just went to and if you heard anything that you're like oh that sounds kind of cool I would just encourage you to look into it more because yeah. there's lots out there and yeah to, of course be a little careful about what you see sometimes because sure. also if you if you are interested in the EMDR it is kind of hard to explain just verbally so look up some videos of people doing it because you'll mm-hmm. see like the the kind of eye movement thing that they do and maybe they'll even show the tapping and so mm-hmm. yeah look it up if you if you think like oh yeah maybe that is something I would want to look into for myself or for someone else it's it's a relatively new field or mm-hmm. a relatively new technique that is constantly being further researched right. and so we're going to see growth in it sure and change in it and everything as we do with everything that's what psychology is about so basically thank you sipsters it was good to have you with us yes thank you so much for listening as always you can find us uh, wherever social media occurs so twitter instagram facebook we're Freudian Sips Pod on everything or on our site freudiansipspod.com um, if you want to email us to get a hold of us directly, we're at freudiansipspod at gmail.com. So send us questions or, or send us, just send us a hello. We're we're delighted whenever we get anything. That's right. Please remember to leave us a nice rating and review if you can do that wherever you're listening. So Apple Podcasts, 
Podchaser, anywhere. And if you send us a review and then send us an email with a picture of that review, we will send you a sticker if you give us your address. So free sticker. Free sticker. And our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod. And it sounds like this. Mm-hmm.